You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. Three man weave again today. Isaiah headed west in Hawaii. Another special assignment. We have him um, scouting Pro Bowl locations. Future mm-hmm. future Pro Bowl, we're bringing it back to Hawaii. So for all of our listeners in Hawaii, we'll be out there soon. Hopefully Keep we can relive that um, Kyle Rudolph MVP moment that uh, we love so much. Yeah, that, some have even compared to being more impressive than a regular season MVP. It's the greatest sporting event known to mankind. But uh, I hope Isaiah landed and got, quote, laid when he uh, arrived. Uh, Classic joke. Anytime you see lays in life, really, um, whenever somebody puts that on you and you're in high school or middle school, you're like, you just got laid. So that's always a classic. I also would hope he brings back a hula skirt because I could see Isaiah. He's kind of a shifty guy. I think he could kind of like wiggle out of one of those, you know, get it busting, do a little hula dancing. I like that. He's got loose hips. Yeah, for sure. Loose. But it's been a while since we recorded. We recorded on the Friday of the NFL draft, so we missed some of the later selections in that draft that the Vikings made. And they had kind of an interesting they had kind of an interesting third round. Lou, they took a quarterback. How are you feeling about Kellen Mond? Yeah, they uh they took him, you know, I believe it was the second pick in the third round. So um, kind of surprised. There were there were certainly some other areas of need that I, I thought they were going to address. I think we all were kind of on the same page. We were hoping they would kind of leapfrog up into the into the second round to, to get some guys. But, um, I mean, they kind of did go all the way across the board. And uh, Kellen Mond was kind of a surprise to me, actually. I mean, he's... I've certainly heard of him. He's a, he's I think he was a four year starter at A and M, so he was he was a pretty good college player. Um, and of course, Rick Spielman uh, quoted him as one of the top players on our board. So just yeah, trying to make himself look good there. I feel like like oh, we got the guy we wanted all along. Um, <clears throat> convenient. We always seem to get the top player on yeah. the board, which is nice. <laughs> Um, but I do, I do like the backup quarterback pick. I think we have Nate Stanley and Jake Browning, who are just guys that are really don't seem like they're capable of winning NFL games on a consistent basis. So if anything were to happen to Kirk Cousins, it's nice to have a little bit of a step up from those guys and or Sean Mannion. Um, but the bit of a concerning thing is that uh, there have only been two guys in the last like 10 years or so from the third round who have made kind of any significant contributions in the NFL and that would be Russell Wilson and Nick Foles um the other guy of note coming out of the third round was uh I had Mason Rudolph but he was just more so went viral for getting hit over the head with his own helmet um in the last few seasons uh but then another thing Dak Prescott was actually a fourth rounder some people forget and he is pretty damn good so you know there's hope there's hope for it um I'm they're saying, you know, he's he's a long-term plan right now. Kellen Mond is, so we just kind of have to sit back and wait and see. I don't know. It's interesting because it seems like it's almost a trendy pick in the way that he is, I would say, decently similar to the new school quarterback, right? Like, his highlight reel was almost exclusively, like, great run plays, which can obviously be a bit of a red flag at a quarterback. Like, I'm looking at his stats – um, just kind of looking at his senior year, 
Um, his completion percentage was the highest of his career at 63%. Uh, percent. He threw for over 2,000 yards, but only like 20, almost 2,300. So really not anything too impressive there. Um, 19 touchdowns, three TDs. That's good. His passer rating was pretty high at 147. So, I mean, the stats look good. He was playing in the SEC, which is, I mean, as a as Big Ten people, Quack. I would say the majority of us are Gopher fans. Quack. I would say like it's tough to have to say it, but the Big Ten is not nearly the conference the SEC is. Like the SEC, they are getting people pro ready. Um, yeah, the big dogs. Yeah, those are the kind of the big dogs, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The the SEC just seems to have like a lot of high draft picks and a lot of like really impactful pro players. So he's playing against good people. Um, it's just hard to it's hard to say, you know, it's it's kind of a crapshoot when you get out of like the top 10 for quarterbacks. Um, we would know that as well as anyone taking Christian Ponder. So um, and I'm not comparing him to Christian Ponder. We might someday. Who knows? But um, yeah, that was actually going to be my comp. Oh, I actually Whoa! had that. Uh, I had that in the holster. Our cycles are syncing up. Go ahead. Dog. I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. That's the transition. No, but so I, I watched like a 12 minute highlight video of Kellen Mond, which was way too long. Yeah. <laughs> Do not yeah. recommend. Can't but get like that you time said, back. it was a lot of runs and a lot of throws to wide open receivers. Mm-hmm. There was never a throw where he was like throwing anyone open. Well, and I mean, then isn't that kind of the thing with Mac Jones though? That's what they're saying. His receivers are so good that they're just wide open all the time. Sorry, a little derail there, but. No, that's fair. I, they did. Like, I think that's the thing in college. That, but but, but like, I would say it's a little different uh, at Texas A&M. Like he, yeah. Dalton's right. There was like three <laughs> yards of separation, and then like he wouldn't always like throw him in stride either. So that's kind of a flag. But go ahead, Dalton. But when you look at some of the top line stats from Christian Ponder and Kellen Mond's last two Uh-oh. years in school, their quarterback ratings are almost the same. Oh uh, no. Kellen Mond had a, a 131 QB rating and a 146.9. Ponder had a 147 and 135. Their yards per attempt are both 7.1. Their their completion percentages are almost identical, 61 and then like 68 for Ponder, 63 for Mond. I mean, they, they have very similar statistical profiles. And they're both guys who can make a little bit of action happen with their legs. And then the question is, you know, is their arm going to kind of come around? I think Mond has more arm talent. That's kind of weird to say as a guy who went in the third round compared to Ponder, who went, what was it, 12th overall? But it was high. It was very I don't know. I mean, Ponder was definitely an overdraft. Mond, I feel like he went kind of where everyone predicted. But to me, they just kind of, it was kind of eerily similar because I got those vibes from the, uh, highlight reel of Mond. I was like, this is kind of like Christian Ponder coming out of college. Like it looks similar, and then their stats lined up a lot. Like the uh, usage, the percent completion percentages, the QB ratings. They both had decent uh, rushing touchdowns and stuff like that. I think Mond was a little bit better as far as like gaining yards on the ground. He might be a little more athletic than Ponder, but I don't know. I, I'm. You hate to hear anyone compared to Christian Ponder as a Vikings fan because that was just like the worst <laughs> couple of years. I mean, he, this is like kind of going off on a tangent, but Ponder is basically the reason that the Vikings didn't make like a Super Bowl run because they had a great mm-hmm. defense. AP was the greatest player in football for like a prime, three years. Yeah. Span. 
and we had Christian Ponder throw, who couldn't throw the ball more than like seven yards. And we still managed to get to the playoffs on the back of Adrian Peterson. Like if they just had a competent quarterback, they would have been probably an NFC favorite, but instead they snuck in as like a 10 and six wild card. Right. Like he was less than a game manager even. Yeah, but there was uh, there was also a report that um, the Vikes were were trying to move up or possibly take Justin Fields. Had he been at number fourteen, they uh, they kind of were covering their tracks a little bit and saying, like, I believe they refused to say the details of the trade or the the interest of the trade, anything like that. But they they said they they were looking at Rashawn Slater, which I would have loved, uh, who went at thirteen, I believe, right before us. Or Justin Fields, who ended up going to the Bears. So that would have been very interesting because if Kirk Cousins starts to slip a little bit, he's got all this guaranteed money. That's I believe it's all fully guaranteed now. That if he starts to slip up a little bit, then fans are gonna be calling for Justin Fields. And then we just have this guy who's just making, you know, forty-five million dollars a year sitting on the bench. That would have been a bit dicey in my mind. So I'm kind of glad, but also, you know, it would have been pretty cool to have Justin Fields as, as kind of the, then like solidified as the next quarterback. We don't really have to worry about that. So. Yeah. I have a hard time with, with those things. It seems like every year um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, the joke about the twins every year, like, Oh, the twins made their best offer to one of the top free agents and they just didn't, want to do it and I'm guessing at times that's true um for me this is similar um I would love if they if people are so confident in releasing things like oh we were in the discussion like let's pony up to the table and see what what were we offering yeah offering the first round this year and then a second round the next two years like that's not even you know that's not even comparable for what um for, for what we wanted to get out of the situation. Like if we were offering like three first round picks or two first round picks and a third or something, I would say, okay, like that's a, that's like actually we're interested, but I don't think you can judge the level of interest until you know what we were offering. Right. Cause I got to imagine there are a decent amount of NFL um, GMs that offer. I would, I wouldn't say like embarrassing low, but lo, like low ball offers, right. To be like, Hey, let's see if, Maybe they're, they takers, have an interest yeah. in moving back or whatever, but I don't know. I, I just have a hard time believing that the Vikings were really trying to make a move. I feel like Kirk, I feel like that would go against them trying to support Kirk cousins. If that's what they want to do. Like I think taking in the second round, even though it's early in the second round, right. It's like almost a first round pick, but taking, or I'm sorry, in the third round, that's even better actually, but taking it, Kalamon in the third round, it's like, okay, that's something for the future. That's, I think you can almost put that into like the project category where you expect a third rounder to wait a couple years. Um, so for me, I, I don't really know if I totally buy that we were moving up um, to try to get Justin Fields, but it's always fun to flirt with the idea. I also have a tough time because it seems like this season, Spielman and Zimmer's seats are hotter than they've ever been. They're both sort of on the hot seat to produce this year. So I have a hard time believing they would have given up assets to pick a guy that would be unlikely to contribute this year unless everything went crazy pear-shaped and the ship started sinking and Kirk Cousins was a disaster. That just doesn't seem like something you would do unless they're trying to buy themselves a couple more years to say, hey, we have fields in the waiting. But it doesn't seem to me like something you would do if you're trying to save your job. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. 
One uh, one more thing on the Vikings, I thought, or at least on the draft, I thought it was interesting. Only one defensive back taken in the fourth round. And so, I mean, that says to me they're pretty confident with the guys that they have, which is pretty much almost the same crew. I guess we added Patrick Peterson, which should be a big, big addition. But interesting, interesting. Usually they just get as many of those guys as they can, I feel like, and hopefully one of them pans out, but. Did you guys see his name was Cameron Bynum? That was the DB that they drafted, the safety out of Cal. Did you see his celebration videos? It was pretty funny. Not. Like, So, yeah, he was like a fourth-round pick. He had this big video that he tweeted out. He was like running around his house, and it was on a lake, and he had this Vikings flag. He was wearing like a cape, and he like ran through this tunnel of people doing like the spirit fingers tunnel, and then ran to the end of the dock and did like a backflip into the water and was like, skull and all this stuff. It was pretty sweet and fun. That's excited. Let's go. Yeah. We don't have Zach Levine standing up saying F me when he's getting drafted. We got a guy. This guy wants to be here. Let's go. Because I think he was a cornerback, Bynum, and he was slow. Like he ran like a four, five, eight at the combine or at the Cal Pro Day. So now they're moving him to safety and hoping that his speed won't be as much of a hindrance. It's kind of interesting how that works. Like, um, and this, I don't want to get too deep into it, but how you can move somebody from corner to safety. And safety, in theory, right, covers like a lot more of the field. But um, but it works because you're not having to like move with a body. So that's why it's like funny that the open end speed matters so much because a lot of cornerbacks, I feel like the biggest problem is shadowing receivers. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the biggest problem is just when a receiver want, wants to run a go route, they can't stick with them. But it's funny that to think that like you move him to a position that's in theory, like trying to cover more of the field potentially, but maybe it's like a strong safety situation. And then he's more covering tight ends and, um, and playing more of a Harrison role. Um, but I always think that's kind of just interesting that like it makes sense for a lot of people to move a slower corner to safety. Um, but maybe it's just because there's less individual responsibility. No, really little little to no one-on-one coverage that right, way. Less so. exposed. Yeah. But, yep, there you go. Uh, yeah, one last thing I've got at least. Um <clears throat> Vikings uh, signed an undrafted tight end out of MSU, Minnesota State. Adam Thielen's old alma mater, where I believe everyone knows. He walked on and had a $500 scholarship, made it all the way to the NFL, no big deal. But this guy, Zilstra, now holds a career, or yeah, the career record for receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. So watch out, Thielen. Coming yes. for you. Yeah, so this guy is, um, I think, I believe if I read correctly, he's from New London Spicer, so kind of central Minnesota. Um, obviously, we know about Brandon Zilstra, uh, the Concordia Cobber that signed with the Vikings, and now I think he's actually on Carolina's roster. Um, but yeah, I remember when Zilstra kind of decided to go to MSU. He was a pretty high recruit within the Division II level, and a lot of people were pretty much saying, middle of his freshman year, like, oh, this guy's the next Adam Thielen. He's obviously a lot bigger um, at 6'4 and, like, two 230. But, um, but yeah, he had a heck of a career at MSU, and it see, seems like with the bigger size, they're moving him to tight end. But I, uh, it's funny, he definitely lived up to the hype of being kind of the next Adam Thielen in terms of the record book's concerned. So 
yeah, I think that's exciting. I think it'd be really cool if, if this was another one of those fun stories, um, where a Minnesota local Minnesota guy went to school here, um, becomes a bit of a stud in the NFL, or at least a comparable pro where he gets some, gets some snaps within the next three years. That'd be pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm hoping he really does pan out as kind of a, a, another pass catcher, because I really like when we have two tight ends that can catch passes. Like we had Rudy and then Irv Smith the last few years. Now with Rudy gone, we've got Conklin, who is to me more of a, a pat or not, not a pass catcher, a pass blocker. Um, <clears throat> so if Zilster can step in and kind of that other role, kind of forgotten role almost, if you will, kind of hide him out there and then he can do a little Jimmy Klein saucer, rumble down the middle untouched for a couple of yards. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I don't see him probably contributing this year um, with yeah. Herb Smith and Conklin, but maybe going forward. Um, like you said, I think sneak in years, there. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Do other NFL teams have this where they keep picking up these guys from non-D1 colleges that are local? I wonder if this is a Minnesota thing because Minnesota only has one D1 program. I mean, not counting St. Thomas, I guess. Point. You know, there are all these local kids who stick around, are actually good athletes, but maybe don't get recruited to D1 schools because there aren't many in the area, play at like D2 or D3 colleges, get very little notoriety, so no programs or professional teams are interested in them so then the vikings sort of have this advantage of just because they're local they have these sort of untapped raw athletes maybe at the d2 or d3 level who would have been d1 athletes had they lived in an area with more schools strategic advantage very good point that is actually pretty interesting I, i would i don't know i wonder if there there are a lot of a lot of those yeah it might just because we're local, so we're like, oh, we have Thielen, like Zilstra made the team, all this. Maybe there are guys like that on other rosters. Just seems like the Vikes, every year they've got a guy there's like that. There's at least one guy, right? Like, it feels like there's at least one every year. It doesn't look like there's necessarily a trend. Um, Atlanta Falcons signed a, some offensive tackle from South Dakota School of Mines. Love so, it. Um, so that I wouldn't say that's necessarily <laughs> local, but it seems like a smaller school with a a particular angle on studies. Talk about a um, story there. Knack, knack, that guy knack. makes um, it. Yeah, that's great. Um, but other than that, like I don't see a ton of uh I guess the Cowboys have a couple that are from like local schools more or less. But there I don't I don't know if there is a ton of that. And I would think the Vikings do you, would you say the Vikings maybe do this once a year or less than that? Every couple of years, they'll sign like a local person. I think there's a lot of like rookies that get invited to the rookie camp that are probably local, even from the MIAC or the NSIC. So, um, but I feel like they rarely make the team. So, but that's exciting. Well, you know, someone to keep an eye on. It's fun to root for local guys, mm-hmm. local underdogs for sure. But let's move on to the Minnesota Wild. Connor, we've been riding high all, all season on the Minnesota Wild, and they seem like they're kind of hitting the stride, rolling into playoffs, coming up soon. But how are you feeling? What are your thoughts on the Minnesota Wild? Um, feeling good. Uh, the Wild have points and what is it? I think their last eight or nine games, I think, because it seems like every game they play now goes into overtime or they win. So... While they're getting points, um, take a peek at the NHL standings as it sits on this Sunday morning. Um, the Wild are one point back of Colorado, 
for the second spot. Um, Vegas has pretty much all but sealed up that top spot. All they need is um, one more point, I think, and that top spot is um, sealed up for them. Um, Colorado does have one game in hand, so they have three games left. I think the Wild just have two games left, if I'm correct. Yep, both against the Blues. So, Ouch. couple L's. Yeah. Shit. So that's tough, but uh, we actually did just split with the Blues, though, recently. So both games went into overtime, but that's pretty much fine. The Blues have already sealed the deal. They're in the playoffs, so the playoff picture is set. Um, it's just how it's going to shuffle around. One thing to note is the Wild this season have been really good at home, one of the best teams in the NHL at home. And similarly, uh, Vegas and Colorado are exactly the same. Pretty much Vegas is 21-4-2 and at home. Colorado's 24-2. and And the Wild are 21-5-2 and at home. So home ice advantage could be crucial for Big that first-round playoff series. Um, obviously, the Wild are not going to catch the uh, the Vegas Knights for first place in the division. But if they could pass Colorado, which would probably mean winning both of the St. Louis games, which is a tall task. But if they could pass Colorado and get home ice advantage in that first round, that would be huge for them. Um, Vegas is obviously no joke. Their top line is insane. They have huge upside on their front their front two lines are really strong way better than i would argue the wilds but where the wild are really going to need to see um kind of separation from colorado because that appears to be the series that's coming will be on the the depth side of things the third and fourth line are going to be crucial for the wild i think the wild have pretty good third and fourth line um early in the season we joked the wild have the most third lines in the nhl um, and I think that's going to be one of the big things for them. Um, the line with uh, Felino and, uh, and, and his line mates that I think that's the third line. They Jewel Erickson, I believe is on that line as well. They've played really good in their defensive zone and they're also getting offensive contributions from that line. So that if that continues, that is going to be crucial for them in the first round against Colorado. Um, one thing that I saw, I was just kind of scrolling through stats and doing that whole bit. And it's interesting to see that the wild um, captain, Jared Spurgeon, is a minus one on the year. That kind of blew my mind a little bit and also slightly disappointing. It's like, I mean, he definitely did not have a great season for his first year as the captain of Minnesota. He's got uh, 25.7 goals. Um, he's played in pretty much every game this season, and he's a minus one on the season. So, um, hey, that's yeah, all that's, right, though. The, those C's, they're just stitched on. They'll come right off. It's no problem. Right. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that's a solution, but if it is, hey, what what do you do? But he is third lowest on the team in plus minus, um, and everyone below him are are uh, very small contributors, I would say except for Marcus Johansson. Who, Interesting. Fiala also at minus one. Yeah, which makes a little more sense to me because Fiala is kind of uh, – the ice seems to be slanted towards the <laughs> offensive zone, so it's always Jerry a little Picker. harder to get him to come back into the D zone. Um, but, yeah, so that's great. And then, obviously, we can't go a podcast without talking about the greatest athlete to ever live, uh, Kirill Kaprizov. The dude, I mean, there's just like – it's almost like – we're running out of things to say about him. Every game, every time he touches the puck, it's just, it's electric. 
Um, um, in the first game against the Ducks in overtime, the wild, obviously it's three on three and the wild kind of had, had the puck in their own zone and Kaprizov kind of makes a loop back where he goes behind the net, comes out and like gains speed. Uh, the other two guys are basically just passing it back and forth, waiting for Kaprizov to gain speed, give it to him. And then he just goes down and he's flying into the zone, makes a good shot, gets the rebound scores. And you're just like, this guy is a one man show. Like he it's is if you stay out of his way, this team's going to be strong going forward. I mean, talk about a fun guy to have potential to build around. Not that I want to overlook the playoffs, but I think this could be really exciting off season for the wild. Um, there's some good options to make moves to bring in a top line center. Um, uh, obviously that there's more to that more to come on that, but for right now, super excited about the wild. Um, if they can get home ice advantage in that first round, I think we'll have a decent shot against Colorado. If not, it's going to be a tough series, but hopefully the wild can scratch and claw their way to a few games and or a few wins and, and challenge them, send the game, send the series to six, seven games and give themselves a shot at uh, advancing. Speaking of Kirill, the thrill, I uh, was just looking back here at some of our very early over-unders from episode one all the way back of the Mini Market Podcast. We set the over-under for goals for Kirill Kaprizov at 12 and a half, and 18 was the rookie record, so I believe Dalton works some magic, which is the equivalent to 12 in 56 games. He's at 27 (laughs) right now, absolutely shattered. And then Mm -hmm. uh, I believe we also had total points at 49 and a half uh in a later on and he's already at 51 so the guy is just we're way off on those but i guess hey, points, sh- shout out to the second one points yeah, was, that points was actually was in good, the ballpark we, he's only cleared it by a point and a half so goals wow i believe i took i may have taken the under on that one so hand up that's my bad <laughs> i may have right. as well i don't know but <laughs> tough he I, I that's one of those over-unders you don't mind losing right You're pretty yeah. comfortable when he shatters an over-under you pick that's a safety bet right there a little safety squeeze mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah he's he's legit man what are some i'm trying to think of a comp for kaprizov in other sports like a in like in football like a lamar jackson yeah, or maybe I, mean, a, I guess he was an I MVP. Mean, so maybe that might not be. a Pat. I was gonna say Pat Mahomes just for like the excitement factor, but like he's not quite to that like far and away best at his position right now, right? Well, maybe like I, a Kyler Murray, like an exciting guy. Murray can decent. run and throw. Kaprizov yeah, can decent, score man. and dish it. I think that's one of the better comparisons because I was I trying. That's to pretty think, good. And I think one of the things that's hard is that. That all the sports are so different. Where like in hockey, he might play 25 minutes in the game, right? But he also does everything in the game. Like it's not like that's why it's a little different than football because they don't play defense. It's a little different than basketball because you're playing, you know, your top players are playing most of the game and they're playing both ways. But yeah, I would say Kyler Murray's a pretty good comp for him because Kyler Murray's dynamic. He's electric. He can make big plays. Um, but he's not he's not like an MVP yet, right? Like he's still young, he's learning. So and I see that as Kaprizov as well. Lou, do you have something to add? Yeah, I would um maybe consider him kind of like a Byron Buxton where he's very good. He's really oh, here we go. dynamic, but he's maybe not the most exciting player in the league. <laughs> I'm logging off. See you guys next week. Uh, and that's the end of the podcast.
Yeah, I think that's a good comp, though. Connor, one more wild question. So I think Kaprizov and Kakinen have sort of taken all of the rookie spotlights this year. But I know Nico Sturm is another rookie who's had a pretty solid year. I was looking at the plus minuses as you guys were talking about it earlier. And Sturm, I mean, he's played in 48 games and he has a plus 11 on the season, same as Kaprizov. Only 16 points. And I mean, he's like a fourth liner, obviously a different type of player, different type of contributor. But is he somebody that you see as a potential, like maybe second or third liner down the road? Uh, I think I see him more as like staying with the fourth or third line. Um, the weird thing about him is he's 26. So like he's kind of newer to the team because um, his development took a little while, but he's a center, which is good. Um, like I, we've always said, there's not a lot of center depth. But hopefully that's a piece there. I, I got to think the while they're looking to add a number one center um, somehow. And then with Marco Rossi, hopefully being a contributor next year, uh, I see Nico Sturm probably in the long term staying at like third line. Um, he's big. He's like 6'3", 200 pounds. So that's really good for the NHL because when you play on those lower lines, you have to be physical. Um, that's kind of a underrated part of the game right now is – they're obviously trying to get rid of fighting, not get rid of it, but just minimize fighting because of all the head stuff. But checking is still like such a massive part of the game, especially on those lower lines. So he's a good contributor there. I think um, the stuff that I was reading in the preseason um, from various um, Minnesota beat writers and things like that, a lot of people thought Nico Sturm had a really strong preseason. And so a lot of people were kind of predicting him to have a pretty solid year, which I would say the stats for where he's at in the lineup are pretty good. And to have a plus minus of plus 11 um, in 48 games is, is really strong and that's really promising. So I see him staying on the lower lines, but I think he's a solid contributor and somebody they want to hang on to. And he's an Augsburg guy, not, uh, not Augsburg U in Minnesota, but he was born in Augsburg, Germany. Yeah, so so just, Augie you know, tech. Yeah. You know, you kind of respect that a little bit. He's an Augsburg guy. Um, he also, his birthday is pretty close to you and you and Isaiah's. So, which is coming up here. He actually just turned what? 20, 26, 26, the big two, six. So, Hey, happy belated birthday to Nico Sturm. Should we sing him happy birthday? I think we should. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Thank you. <clears throat> You want to close it out with some some twins talk? Yeah, let's get to the meat and potatoes now. Finally, oh, the lovable losers! Your twelve and twenty Minnesota Twins, oh. absolutely brutal. They just lost a series to the Tigers, right? Yep, lost two of three to arguably the worst team in baseball. Well, not arguably. I think the Tigers are probably the Are's worst the team worst in baseball. Team. Unless you want to argue that the Twins are the worst team in baseball. Wow. There you go. <laughs> because the fourth game of the Tigers series was postponed, the Twins did lose uh, two of three to the Detroit Tigers. And their bullpen cratered. I don't know if we necessarily even want to get into all of the things that are wrong with the Twins, but it seems like... we can't. No, it, it, I mean, people hate on Rocco Baldelli, but you can, if you're watching the games, you can see he's just like floundering and trying to figure out what works because nothing is going right. It's... It's yeah, it's like yeah. we we obviously have these guys that are playing well and some guys aren't and it's just like we can never 
put together a complete game. It feels like we'll have maybe a pitcher who's doing really well and a couple guys in the order, you know, are hitting bombs, hitting doubles, getting on base. And then everyone else just like sucks or like the defense has is, is bad or like the bull we get to the bullpen and then the bullpen falls apart after like we put together a pretty good game up to you know the sixth inning or something like that and it's just it's just frustrating because like 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 what's the solution we just need these guys to get on the same page i feel like but it's just not happening and like we can't really blame it on injuries i know donaldson was out but other than that i mean we yes we had the covid issue but still like it's just a it's a mystery because I was thinking this morning, thinking back to our preseason predictions, we all had them high 80s, low low to mid 90s wins. And that just does not look like it's going to happen right now unless they go on an absolute tear. So like this team was supposed to be good and they're just not. It's just baffling. Yeah, um, frustrating. One one thing I did do is a little bit of research, just kind of looking at team ERA. And it looks like one factor that could be helpful for the the twins is if we could get more night games. So with my research that I did, the twins Analytics. are 11th, beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop. 11th in the league in ERA in night games. Um, disclaimer, there have only been five, so that could be part of it. But we're going to ignore that for now. Uh, 3.7 or clip so 11th in the mlb um and day games ding 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 red flag here 4.54 era um 24th in the mlb so you got to start to wonder get the eye black out are we partying too hard at night we can't get up we can't get motivated for a day game the next day um to me, it's an accountability thing at times. Um, you know what? If you want to go drink and party the night before a game, that's fine. But I, I, I need you to be ready the next day. Um, all jokes aside, it's just frustrating. Um, like It feels like the, the pieces are there. I think the big red flag coming into the season was the bullpen. And that has been glaring at us in the face all year where they thought they addressed it. It appears that we haven't addressed it thus far. Um, a lot of a lot of late inning uh, blown games from our bullpen. So that's frustrating. Um, I'm going to choose to keep the faith and think we'll go on a little run here at some point and get us back in the playoff picture, but it's definitely not looking like we had hoped with being um, division champs for the, I believe third year in a row, but that's looking like it's going to be tougher and tougher to accomplish. Yeah. I know we've talked about it a lot, but like Colome was supposed to be like the guy like he was the one guy like I was confident in because of his his track record and then I was kind of a little more nervous about like Robles and it's been the complete opposite Robles has actually been like fairly decent he's not great but Colome is just brutal and I know we've talked (laughs) quite a bit about Dobnak he's slowly climbing back up out of that I think he was at like an 11 ERA or something, and but he's down to eight now. So he's he's slowly coming back up. Hopefully he can turn it around. Uh, I would like to slightly defend him. I know we love him on this podcast, but at the end of the day, if he's the reason we're like thinking we might be losing, that's oh a red god flag. no, he's, yeah, he's not like a uh, he's not like the top end of our rotation or our bullpen. So while he is a important and valued member of our team, and honestly this podcast. 
Um, Randy, hope hard. you're doing we well. Can't put much up. Can't put too much on him. I do just want to point out that he is in AAA right now, so he is literally not oh. in any way a part of the Twins' success or failure. They did send him down to to make some room in the bullpen. I think yeah. we need to start a mini market pod, Randy Dobnak tracker, because I did not know that. Tell From now me. on, that'll be our first order of business. Where is Randy Dobnak? <laughs> Still in AAA. St. Paul or Minneapolis? I have a picture in my head of like Rocco Baldelli is on a, a little boat and there's a hole in the boat and water is coming up through it and he patches that hole and then all of a sudden another hole springs and up another. and then he patches that and then two other holes spring up and he's like constantly doing this thing where he's jumping around. He's trying to hold all of the holes closed. It's hard because you can only do so much as a baseball manager. Like you put your guys out there and then yeah. it's out of your hands really. You have, yeah, you can put guys into situations, but that's about, they still have to go and deliver. Like you thought, like you said, it's out right. of his hands. Like, Tyler Duffy, he started off the season poorly, but then he had pitched really well for a couple weeks. So then in Saturday's game, it's a 2-2 game in the seventh inning. He brings Duffy in. Duffy promptly gives up four runs in two thirds of an inning. I mean, that's probably the the optimal play is to bring in a guy who's been hot for a couple weeks, who's been pitching well, has a proven track record, and he blows it. And then Colome, they had demoted him because he'd been pitching really poorly, and then they decided to use Rodgers. Rodgers had been pitching well all season a couple of games ago, and then he blows a save. You can only blame you can only blame the manager so much. Like I, I see all these people on Twitter saying fire Rocco, fire Rocco. Yeah. I don't get like what do you want him to do? Who do you want him to put out there? He had to put Derek well, Law hey, he... in a game that was a tie game. Saw... <laughs> like who's Derek Law? What is like what do you want him to do? Mm-hmm. I guess we could pitch Tortuga yeah, every think... game, but for entertainment yeah. purposes. He was someone I wanted to talk about. It's like. an option. He's, he's still producing very well, actually. For I think Dalt, you said it a few a few episodes ago where like he's just our utility guy, but he's like playing so well that he would be like borderline a starter, like a, a solid contributor on like most MLB teams. So it's nice to see him. Fan favorite. Love that guy. Yeah, to get back onto the um the manager Rocco Baldelli topic. I agree. I think a manager does not separate you from like, I think a manager probably has an impact and maybe this will get roasted on out of 162 games, probably like 20. In my opinion, the team is just going to do what the team does a lot of times. Like I once heard an analogy that like, you're going to win 60 games, you're going to lose 60 games, and the other 42 is kind of what actually matters. Like, you know, nobody really goes too far below 60 wins. Nobody goes too far below 60 losses. So it's kind of like that's a given, what you do in the other 42. And I think of those 42, I bet Baldelli has an impact on 10 or less of them. Like, there's just – I think putting that much blame on him, you can see, as Dalton mentioned, he's – putting different guys, which appears for like the average, maybe a little like dedicated sports baseball fan. Like he's putting the right guys in, like the guys we're paying the money to, to be in these positions that are, like you said, Dalt, like he's putting hot hands in, which is what he's always done. And it's just not working out like plain and simple. It's I, I think in 
MLB, you got to put way more blame on the players than you do the coaches because unless they're just setting the wrong lineups, which it doesn't appear to be that way. Um, I mean, if he pulls a starter, you know, there's been some of those situations this year, but it's not an every game thing. It's like, oh, why did he pull the starter? Why did we go? You know, it's just, I think, like you said, the majority of this is just on the twins. We just got to play better. We need to really pitch better on the back end as well. Okay. Okay, well, the twins suck, and we're all sad about it. But we'll we'll move on. We'll talk. Let's talk some bigger pit, bigger picture baseball here. So obviously, baseball is the game we love, but generally, it's kind of getting hurt because games are Bastards. taking like three and a half hours, and it gets boring at times. Did you know that between balls put in play, on average, it's three minutes and fifty seconds? Wow. That's not that exciting if you're not like mm. a baseball purist and you Right, don't... and people people get upset about how long it takes between an NFL play and that's what 35 seconds, 40 seconds. You you bring a kid to the game and someone hits the ball and then okay, now I have to wait four more minutes to see people run around. People aren't going to games to watch cool pitch sequences and watch a pitcher <laughs> out think Some the of us are. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, baseball's hurting and so what we're going to talk about some potential rule changes. MLB's commissioner's office is obviously trying to address this. They're putting in some new rule changes at different minor league levels to sort of test them out, see how they work, how they affect the game. So we'll do some quick hitters. Just tell me if you guys like this, don't like this. Uh, any quick thoughts, keep it under, you know, like 30 seconds. First one, a 15-second pitch clock. So once the pitcher gets the ball back, they have to throw their next pitch within 15 seconds. If the pitcher violates it, a ball is added to the count. And then like, there's a there's a second twist to that where the hitter can't leave the box. And if the hitter is not ready to hit at that time, then a strike is added to the count. So it can sort of go both ways. Is it does that including like the pitcher taking the sign, like getting a sign from the catcher? Yep. Once he catches the Jeez, ball, yeah. That is that is not a lot of time. 15 seconds is really not a lot of time. Um, the thing I'm thinking about, though, is with the batter also, like, can he just, like, keep his one foot in the box and keep his hand up? Like, are umpires just going to give him the time no matter what then? Like, I don't think so. It's it's quick. It's going to be speedball. I think you're going to see some guys taking their sweet-ass time walking up to the, walking up to the plate, but... <laughs> What's your opinion on it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I... I like the timing, but 15 seconds seems way too short to me. What would like you say? I, I mean, I would give him at least 20, 25 maybe, because like, well, Lou wants to slow the game down. Let's get slow it, it down. <laughs> um, for me, I love it's, it's a love love for me. One of my biggest things I hated as a pitcher was when batters would step out of the box, maybe go like three steps and take that like big G hacks. Because oh, I hate that. Why? Yeah. I don't. I don't know why. Just some people like it. Um, I may or may not have thrown at people for that exact reason in town ball games. Nice. That is un unknown. Um, 15 seconds, Lou said it, seems a little quick. Maybe could do 20, but I love the idea of speeding that process up. Um, as a pitcher, as a JV coach more than anything, we waste a ton of time with guys oh, rocking the ball, walking around the mound. It's just so annoying. So love, love for me. I like it too. It's especially noticeable at late in games. Alex Colomay takes over 60 seconds sometimes between pitches. And it's, it's brutal. I, I love the twins well, and it sucks to watch them because of that. 
an interesting thing, an interesting thing too Looking that you, might Casey. that might take into account is like one of the things a pitcher can do is like hold the ball if there's a runner on to make him uncomfortable, and now you just can't do that. Well, that actually leads into a second one here, Lou. Pickoff limits, max of two step offs per batter. That you you can throw it over to first or second, or just step off to reset the the signs. You only get two per batter. Otherwise, it's a balk. What do you think about that? Dalt, you can take the lead. I love it because it adds another element of surprise. Because if you step off twice to throw over, then that runner on first can go on first movement because the yeah. pitcher can't step off again. And I like that it adds that extra aspect too. Because stolen bases like, are fun and more strategies. Knows fun. you're going, and that's the thing. It's like oh, like it just gets you on edge. Like a three-two count, two outs, everyone's on edge. But you just know, yeah, it's like okay, I can take as big a lead as I want here. Pretty much, he just can't step off. <laughs> Like, could he just go start walking to second base? Like, I hate it. I think you can't I do don't both like the 15 either, second yeah. timer and the pickoffs for me. Like, that just doesn't seem like there's got to be some sort of gray area where you can hold the ball and like prevent that. But, um, I hate the idea of limiting pickoffs personally. I think that's dumb. All right. Well, and here's the next one smaller strike zone to encourage more balls being put in play. Strike zone move above the knees, above the knees to the belt area. I am okay with it for a trial basis. If this leads to more walks, I'm, uh, I'm insanely against it. If it leads to more balls in play, that's great. If it leads to more walks, I am adamantly opposed. Yeah, that's kind of the way I was thinking about it too. Like it's supposed to have more balls in play, right? But the way I see it, pitcher or hitters are just going to be more selective and they're going to be taking more pitches. I think. So I could see it maybe. I mean, it might lead to pitchers throwing the ball over the plate more, which would hopefully cause more balls in play. But if it goes the other way, it would be probably detrimental to the game where it's, it's making it longer with guys that are just t- getting walks all day long. So did you like it or not like it, you say? I don't like it. I think I like it because I think pitchers would adjust and they would throw strikes and hitters would be able to hit the strikes better. So it would be exciting all around. But I agree, if it leads to more walks, that would kind of suck. Here's what we do. 100 miles an hour, strike every time, but shorten the distance of the mound. (laughs) Mm. Injuries. Good segue again, Lou. How would we feel about a mound that's further back? One minor league this year, second half of the season, they're going to pitch from 61 feet, six inches. Wow. That's, the estimate is that that will add one one hundredth of a second in reaction time for hitters, which equates to about 1.5 miles per hour on pitches. So a 96 mile an hour fastball will seem like a 94 and a half mile an hour fastball being thrown from 61 and a half feet instead of 60 and a half feet. Connor, as a pitcher, how would you feel about getting moved back one foot? I don't like it i think I, I i don't know i think there's a reason why it's been at this distance forever but i can understand them wanting to move it back because they have brought the mound down before um famously bob gibson was like dialed in he had like the lowest era of all time in a single season and then they took the mound height down to give hitters a chance again so i i could see it happening and if it does whatever but personally i i'm not a fan i don't mind it so I'd, I'd be for it. But one interesting thing you talk about the mound being lowered. So some people have said they should lower the mound again. And there was an interesting study that came out that 
pitchers now they work a lot with high fastballs like that's how they strike guys out now yeah. is, is higher fastballs and those are actually more effective from a lower release point so lowering the mound would um, increase the efficacy of high fastballs which might actually increase the number of strikeouts so it might have like an adverse hmm. effect whoa so that's kind of interesting that's really interesting i would think the opposite but huh the more you know as they say lou what do you think mound being moved back a foot I, I mean, I don't really like it either. I think it's the guys are so good now. One foot's really not going to make that big of a difference. I say just leave it. Lou's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair enough. All right, two last ones here. <clears throat> kind of a funky one. Larger bases. So <clears throat> standard bases are like 15-inch squares. One minor league is using 18-inch bases this year sort of a double whammy. Um, one reason is for safety to give players a little bit larger area to sort of operate, hopefully reduce the amount of collisions at like second base, but also to encourage steals. They think it gives you an extra six inches, three inches on both ends and steals. A lot of times are bang, bang plays. I'll show you, get you an extra, extra six, six inches. inches. Um, to cut you off three words, grasping at straws. This is the, I could not be more indifferent on this. Like, who cares? A bigger base. Like, this is just turning into a clown show at certain points. Like, if they want to do it, I'll allow it. If they want my approval, I'll give it. But overall, I'm just like, who cares? Bigger bases. This is probably just them and big base companies in bed together trying to push product, man. We got deadlines to meet and they're trying to push products. This is egregious. Big business. Yeah, this one just seems like it's you said it best, Cutter. Grasping at straws. Like, what are we what are we doing here? At what point then do we just go to that pill base that they were using little league at first? So you could just step on the runner can step on the one side, first baseman's on the other side. But let's do yeah, that I and mean, then I don't, every base have the orange base and then the normal base. But if you touch yep. the wrong color, automatic. You have to ejection. touch your side. Automatic yep. ejection. You have to let's that's, challenge the I would depths watch of that. these MLB teams. Yeah. There we go. I think it's fun. I think they should double the size. Yeah. 30 inch bases, big squares, big old. Just big make it a circle. Then. Did you guys, in, sorry to derail. Did you guys ever <laughs> play a mat ball or in high school? It was like when you have yes. like a big. Oh, yeah. Table. Let's just do that. Screw it. Screw it. Let's just make them bigger than human sized mats laying on the ground that you can go touch. Then you don't even have to be close to the first baseman. No injuries. Stealing should be a breeze because you're already halfway to second. As a former slight-framed first baseman, I'm all for limiting <laughs> collisions because I'm losing that battle nine times out of ten. Maybe if it was 165-pound Isaiah Welkley coming down the line. <laughs> 165, wow. Does he have rocks in his it's pockets or what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I hope Ike's having a lovely time in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's doing just fine. Uh, to be 165, he's probably crushing the Luau game right now. <laughs> okay, last one. This is this one's kind of been contentious. How do we feel about shift limits? So there are two different types of shift limits that some minor leagues are trying. One is that two players have to be on each side of second base, two infielders, that is. And then the other one is that infielders must begin the play standing in like the dirt. They can't be deeper than the dirt a lot of times when a lefty's up now the second baseman will be playing like short right field. So the ho the thought is keeping them on the dirt would sort of help lefties that line drive that would go over second base would be a hit instead of 
hitting it to that short right fielder. So how do we feel about shift limits, Lucas? Well, that dirt one is kind of interesting because I feel like that's the majority of shifts that you see is with a big lefty up who pulls the ball. Like you put that second baseman in right field and then you move the shortstop or third baseman over to the, that side of the base. So that would just completely like eliminate that shift forever. I would feel like, um, but Hmm. You know, I, I like this one. I'm not a huge shift guy. I don't think so. I'm learning you're an old fashioned guy. Yeah, I'm, you I'm like it the way it is. Guy. You like yeah. the game how it is. Keep them, keep them where they're at. Put an X on the, <laughs> no, don't do that. But no, I don't like this one. Wait, what? You just said you liked it. Did you just flip flop? Wait, no. I said I don't. Like wow, it. the ultimate flip flop. You said you do no, like what? it. You just I said, said I kind of like this one. No, I did. And then two seconds later, you're like, I don't like. No, it. I said I don't like. No, shifts. you did not. We can. <laughs> yes, I we did. Check I tape, play it baby. back. <laughs> play it back. Wait, wait, wait. So you don't like shifts? So you do like the f- shift limit, or you don't That's like where the, the confusion? Shift is you oh, said okay, you do like the confusion. rule? Yeah. Is that what you're staying with? Yes. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the limit. I don't because you like ended it with like I don't much. like okay. that, and I was like, wait a minute. Okay, what? okay. There gotcha. we go. So you, you don't like shifts. You do like the shift limit rule. Calm it down, everybody. Um, I down. feel the opposite, and I think it's almost for a similar old timey take reason. But in my head, if they're gonna shift you, you have every right to put down the bunt and get the single if you want. Like the single is always there, and I understand the concept of like you're getting paid to hit home runs. So that's what you're going to do. But I think you should be able to defend that then if they're, if he's just giving himself away to saying, I'm either going to hit one off the wall over the fence or an out. That's fine. If he doesn't want to take the opportunity to like push a bunt, I'm mostly thinking of lefties now. Um, But I, I don't like this rule. I think there's a strategy to shifting. I think it, it makes the game interesting to see like where the defense is playing. I just, one thing that bothers me is like, it does slow the game down a little bit to me. Like you're always seeing the outfielders, like pull the thing out of the back pocket, look at where they're supposed to play for this hitter. And it's kind of a little delay, but if you accompany this with the 15 second pitch thing, they're going to be moving to that spot. So I I like it. I think there's the option to take a single for every lefty that's getting shifted. It's really not that hard to like bunt in that general vicinity to get yourself a hit. So now it's, yeah, I say that, but coming there's like a 91 mile an hour slide yeah. <laughs> coming at you. It might be harder, but they're hitting that every single day. So I have no remorse for that. I think shifts are, I think shifts are fine. And if you want to do it, do it. I think I agreed with Lou, but then you kind of swayed me there, Connor. I, I think I'm, I'm anti shift limiting. So let's go with the shift. And then actually we do have one more. I heard this. It was, it sounded really crazy when I first heard it. And then I kind of started to come around to it. How would you guys feel about making a walk worth two bases? You get walked, you go straight to second base. I hate, hate that. It. Hate that. I kind of like, like it. You can't, you no, can't, you can't have it both ways, but with the smaller position. strike zone and the walk. Then it's just a walk and a bloop and you get a run. Like, No, you got to earn it a little bit more than that. But don't you think pitchers would adjust and then they'd start throwing strikes? So then the game would be more exciting because players would be hitting the ball more because pitchers would because now well, you walk you a guy the, the walk, guy goes to first base that doesn't like pitchers think they can strike the next guy out well i mean then That's at what point, point do you say is a strikeout worth two outs then i mean it's almost oh. the same thing it is kind of changing the game like drastically <laughs> but 
I don't know. The, it, baseball is entertainment, and they want to make it entertaining. And the entertaining parts of baseball are people hitting the ball, making crazy athletic plays, running really fast, like strikeouts, walks, and home runs. Home runs are kind of exciting, but like triples are more exciting. Doubles are exciting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, walk double. I just can't. Walks will never be more exciting. I just can't get on. I don't think I can get on board with two bases for a walk. It's a lot. Um, because the thing is, if you walk the guy and then you strike out the next two guys, and the next guy hits a bomb, no matter what, it's a two run home run, right? So it's like, oh, if he's on second or if he's on first, it doesn't matter. But it just puts the pitchers at such a disadvantage. And I honestly think that will lead to more pitching substitutions, which will slow the game down. Because you lead, if you're in the fifth inning and you walk the leadoff guy, and now a second, nobody out. I see them going to a new pitcher, and I don't love that. Yanked. But I mean, I'm also a pitcher, so I'm taking it from the standpoint of like that is bullshit. If they get to go to second on a walk, I, yeah, I would want at least an out and a half here's, for the strikeout. Then here's the thing, though: if they're going to limit the pitch co- or the pitch timer, that guy's got to sprint to second base. Does he just get to yeah, go straight I like that, over the Luke. mound? What does he do? Does he have to? Or is he going to walk down to first? Then he's going to touch first and then walk down to second? No, let's keep it interesting here. Let's keep it going. Um, so I just looked up the average MLB time for a 60-yard dash <laughs> is 6.9. So the sprint to second is how many? 60 yards? At uh, an it's angle. 90 feet times the square root of two, which is like 1.4. So... Uh, like 135 Jesus. feet approximately 135 Which feet in yards is like that's a straight shot right what in yards that's less than 50 yards 50 yards so like i think yards if you can't get to second base by five and a half seconds you have to go back you're out so you can try it if you want <laughs> i love this all right i flipped Give him six. i have flipped if we can go 5.5 seconds you get to do it your choice but you got to live with that decision. If you don't get there on time, and this is the ball hits the glove, you're off. So I, I Ooh, not only that, but I get guys making choice. the decision for the umpire. So you're off. <laughs> Boom, gone. Um, no, I, I would say that would actually be really entertaining. I think for people, if you walked and you could make a double out of it. But if you game like you either get the first, you, you get to like go to first, get, or you get to you go quickly to like you get set in the box and on first movement they hit the timer. That'd be sick. New school baseball. Here I come, baby. That Lou, great idea. Right I'm there. flipped. Now That's I'm on electric. board. Got him. All right. Well, that's going to do it then for this week's mini market podcast. We've got a couple guests coming up, so be sure to tune back in. But this was the mini market pod presented by Tellum Sports. Follow us on Twitter at Tellum Sports. Check out our blog at Tellum Sports. I was Dalton here with Lucas and Connor. See you next week. Go Wolves. Three-man weave. Bye. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.